Bubble Media Inside the Bubble is a listener-supported podcast. More about how you can support us later in the show. Welcome to Season 2 of Inside the Bubble. I am Bisi Adedun. Before we get into the episode, I just want to acknowledge that some things have changed. About the world, yeah, but also about the podcast. We've changed our logo. Our tone and pacing, as you'll find out, are different as well. The number of hosts has changed too. Last year, there were two of us. Now, it's just me. There are all these new small things that have changed and we know change is difficult. In some situations, it even sucks. Remember when Google changed their logos last year? Hated it. For our first episode, in acknowledgement of all the things that have changed about our show, we are going to be telling stories about big life changes. Changes that are much bigger than us changing our logo. To get started, we're bringing back a character from last season, from our most popular episode, the one about failure. Yemi. Remember him? Most people think my story of failure would be um, having to restart university again. I think that's the hardest thing most people can think of, yeah. Uh, my biggest fail, my biggest failure, and you know, shortest story of failure would be making the decision to come to Unilag at all. In episode two, an episode we titled "Good at Failing," told the story of Yemi's biggest failure, a story that went two different ways depending on who told it. On the surface level, it seems to be about how Yemi failed out of university, but for Yemi, the story wasn't about bad grades. It was about bad choices, about making the wrong decisions, starting from choosing the wrong school. So uh, immediately after secondary school, I was coming off feeling like a slightly above average student and I got into Convenant and I was given a choice. You could go to Convenant uh, or you could, you know, uh, take a year in diploma and go to Unilag and... Choosing to go to a government school over a private school kicked off a downward spiral for Yemi. He didn't get his preferred course in diploma, then he had to wait a year to get into school. When he did, Yemi started skipping classes and making small mistakes. He got into a relationship and made some more mistakes, even broke up with his girlfriend. They got back together not long after and Yemi says that's the only good decision he made. Not breaking it off completely with her. At the end of the day, Yemi had to leave Unilag to start school again in a different university. This is where Yemi's new story, the one about change, begins. Like, what, what was the change like going to a new school? What was that like initially? Uh, it kind of felt like secondary school. Like when I first got to secondary school, everything felt new. You know, a new way of a new way of moving around, new social cues, uh, new ways to make friends. It's it's quite different from Unilag. I felt Babalola was different in many of the ways Yemi expected it to be. There was less freedom. It was a different environment with a smaller population and stricter rules. But these things didn't affect Yemi in the way he thought they would. The school had a particular emphasis on good grades and better incentives to do well. As a result, in his fourth year, 
Yemi is currently on the first class. So failure is no longer his biggest problem. Yeah. So like now, your biggest problem isn't doing well in school. What are the new problems? Okay, so... How I was it? Back at Unilag, I was a very depressed person. And I have... I can't... Like, honestly, speaking from now, I can't remember why I was so depressed. It just felt like life was always beating down on me. And like that was so saddening for some reason and when i think back at it now i don't remember those things sure i had a hard breakup the first time i had some relationship issues but mm. from where i am it looks like damn those were easy times yeah <laughs> today's episode is about change about what happens when we experience drastic changes about changing schools changing cities and changing fundamental beliefs and what these changes mean for us and for the people around us. I am Bisi Adejon and you're listening to Inside the Bubble, the crowdsourced podcast about social bubbles. Every episode, we feature stories from different people about their experiences around the unifying concept. We do this to show how different or similar life outside our bubble is. We kick off this episode with Yemi's story about changing schools. Act 1. Things can get worse. When we left Yemi last year, he was just getting settled into a new school with new teachers, new classmates in a completely new environment. But the change was more than that. You see, the differences between private and government universities in Nigeria stack up. For starters, the school fees are worlds apart. Take Yemi's school fees at Afebagolola. Yemi currently pays 1.1 million naira per session. That's 22 times more than what he used to pay in Unilag. In his new school, each college wears a particular color. Red in the medical college, green in engineering and so on. This is one of the reasons Yemi likened his school to a secondary school. Another difference is cooking. In Afebabalola, cooking is completely banned. You can only buy food. Uh, cooking was hard because I really like cooking, as you know and food over there is kind of expensive so a lot of your finances goes into cooking goes into feeding yourself it kind of creates bad eating habits because if you are someone on a really tight budget you have to either sacrifice the quality of your food or you have to sacrifice the frequency in which you eat so some people eat once a day at but it's as bad as that or they or they strictly eat a specific meal from a specific place. It, it's 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 like they assume that everyone, anyone who can afford to come to this school should be able to afford to feed themselves properly. But all these differences don't mean much when you get into the system. Yemi doesn't mind being told what to wear. She says it gives him a template for how to dress up. In Unilag, Yemi didn't care about how he looked. He says he misses cooking, but that's something you get used to. The only real difficulty Yemi had was making new friends. Fitting was definitely the biggest culture shock because when I first got there, I'm a quirky person, so I have my usual itches. But people won't exactly talk to you if they're not sure who you are. So it's always best to go in there with like your own, your own friend group before you start socializing outward. But I was alone for a good while. So it was hard for people to assess the type of person I was. But eventually, Yemi made friends. Friends in his class, friends that shared the same interests as he did, friends that liked the same games he liked. He even made friends with teachers. 
that's another thing he didn't do in Unilag. In Unilag, I was this sad bubble that walked around with his head facing his feet. Uh, I took a lot of long walks. I wanted to do a lot more fun stuff. Uh, I was more heavily involved in gaming. I wanted to do well at school, but I never put in the effort. Yeah, and it felt like the moment you're not into into putting the effort actively, Unilag kind of compounds on that. And Afe Babalala is different. In Unilag, Yemi had people in his class who he didn't even know. In Afe Babalala, he's currently running for student president of his entire college. That's the entire college of engineering. He says he has a good chance of winning. That's how well known he is. So it feels like the change has been completely good for him. When Yemi was in Unilag, there was something he used to do all the time. He'd be in a room filled with people having a conversation. Everything would seem normal. Then Yemi would look straight ahead and say something bad was about to happen. Out of the blue. Almost like he was prophesying it. We asked him about this. Do you still do this thing where you go, something bad is going to happen? Oh, every day, every time, every second. I, <laughs> like, I did it to Indy Lag like once a day or once in two days. But now it's like every minute, it's like mm, something wrong. <laughs> something wrong is about to happen. I don't say it as loud as, out loud as much as before. But like, I just get a feeling like, yeah, this isn't going to go right. There's this idea about the way we perceive our problems. It goes like this. When you're poor, it feels like all your problems are attached to money, and you think that getting money will fix everything. But then you get money, and for some reason, you still have problems. New problems. Problems that seem bigger than money. Yemi couldn't write his first semester exams with the rest of his class. New students had to write theirs in the second semester. So while everyone else had classes, Yemi was having classes and writing exams. Mm-hmm. And I felt like if I had written my exams with everyone else, I'll have done better than I did. When second semester exams came along, I kind of had kidney failure. The next year rolled around and Yemi had to take the same courses again. Not because he had failed, but because he had never written the exams. It put him in a weird situation. Teachers that knew him kept asking why he was repeating the class. Eventually, he got tired of explaining to people that he didn't have a carryover and let them assume what they wanted. And Corona hit. Yeah. And we had to go home. So I had to read on my own for some of the courses, write the exams on those courses. Then the biggest hit of my life happened. My mom died. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of things just kind of went into the drain after that. You know, uh, there, were fi- there was infighting in the family. There was scramble for the burial medical health stuff and i just felt really powerless and kind of useless because i'm not bringing in income myself yeah so i'm kind of just looking at all these people dealing with the fact that their mother died as well and they all have to put in a little and all i can do is you know sit down in my room and read yeah and it just felt like i was kind of useless and a liability because now the responsibility of paying for my school fees got shifted onto the rest of my family. When I got back to school, things kind of didn't get better. My CGPA dropped a lot. Not a lot, considering I'm still in the first class, but like... But like a lot dropped, more than... Yeah, exactly. A lot more than I needed it to. So now I have to... That's why I have to put in more effort to maintain it now. Uh, 
then we're currently trying to move out of the house uh it's apparently has too much emotional baggage for everyone so we thought it'd yeah. be great if we could get a new start somewhere else so that is really stressful because we haven't been having a lot of luck it's kind of been very isolating the whole my house is kind of empty right now uh, most of my family has moved out so it's kind of just two of us at home and the house is huge which makes so, it lonely yeah exactly so there's a lot more emotional baggage and as bad as everything is it still feels a lot more manageable than when i was in unilag right at the end of unilag yami was struggling with feelings of disappointment and depression he felt like he had disappointed his mom and that things couldn't get worse but the only thing worse than disappointing your mother is not being able to disappoint your mother things can get worse you just get better at handling them i think i've i think the most important lesson i've learned over the past few years is that you just kind of have to keep pushing yeah and one of two things will happen you either die or you learn to deal with it might as well not waste time like wallowing about how bad it is and just try to move forward at 17 yemi wrote a letter to his 19 year old self detailing things he wanted him to be he wanted to be doing well in school he wanted to be a better person he wanted to be more consistent to be earning some money to be a better friend it's taken him some time but he thinks he has gotten there that's the biggest change for him finally becoming the person he wanted to be it's just like the compound effect of okay you got this every now and again that that's the major change is like trust the major change for me would be i trust myself to do a lot more things than i used to yeah This is inside a bubble. I am Bisi Adedun. In this episode, we are featuring stories about change. More stories after the break. Inside a Bubble is a listener-supported podcast. You can support us in making this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Patreon lets you donate a fixed amount to us monthly that helps us make new episodes. You can donate as little as $1 and if you change your mind, can cancel at any time. Just go to www.patreon.com forward slash the pod of bubbles. Another way to support us is by sharing this episode with a friend. Act two: When you lose your faith, we all lose your faith. One of the first things you are taught as a child is how to pray. You are taught that God loves you, that He answers your prayer, and that when you die, you either go to heaven or to hell. Ideally you want to go to heaven. These beliefs become the foundation of your being. That's the case for many people in Nigeria. This is the story of a man that loses that foundation. Our producer Moisu tells the rest of it. I think I should start the story by saying inside the Bible does it endorse any particular religious belief. We have Christians, Muslims and atheist leaning people on the team. So the perspective we chose for this story about faith was purely coincidental. My name is Jason. I'm a writer. 
right? For TV and film. Jason grew up in Jos, in the average conservative Christian family. Well, as average as you can be when your father is an evangelist and your mother has made three gospel albums. There is often this misconception that people that lose their faith lose it because it was never really that strong to begin with. I don't think that's true. Jason's faith was nurtured from childhood. For early education, he went to a missionary school where students had to learn 50 to 60 Bible verses a year. And Jason was good at it. Remember the version? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, they checked us at the end of each um, term. So if, if you hadn't learned it, you'd get like spanked. I, I actually never got spanked. For secondary education, he went to a Baptist school where the days were structured around worshipping God. On Sundays, we have morning service. Then we have Sunday school. Then we go for lunch. Then we have siesta. After siesta, there's another Bible study. And then we go for dinner. And then after dinner, we go for evening service in church. So the entire day, on Sunday, you're serving God. In uni, Jesse joined a fellowship and rose all the way to the president, a role he likened to being the CEO of a company. Some of his ideas weren't met with open arms by the fellowship. I don't know if it was a bad idea. I still haven't thought about it and decided, but we had like a fashion arm. Like, you know, you have like the, the drama, the choir, the, all the different arms. We now had like a fashion arm, like, like for fashion shows. I used to go for fashion shows and try to like weave Bible verses into the whole thing. But it backfired <laughs> spectacularly. <laughs> the point I am trying to make is that Jason's faith was never weak. He truly believed in God, believed God loved him, believed in the doctrines of Christianity. If he went back 10 years into the past and told his younger self that he would one day become atheist, Jason wouldn't believe it. I'll, I'll bind the devil. <laughs> I'll be all get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> This story is not about what is or isn't right to believe in or what proof exists to support any religious belief. As a result, we're not going to focus on the books and the research and the arguments that eventually pushed Jason to change his mind. I'll say a few things about it though. Number one, there is usually one big moment that leads people to change their beliefs. The closest thing Jason had to that was reading The Life of Pi, a book that made him think about the stories we tell ourselves. Maybe. Maybe religion is just a, maybe religion is a story we tell ourselves because it's necessary for us to believe in something and it's necessary for us to have faith and to have hope and believe that that um, there is somebody out there watching over us. It, maybe it's not necessarily true. Number two, Jason wasn't converted by anyone other than himself and his conviction to find out his own truth. Number three, the change wasn't sudden. It took years and up in the stages. He stopped enjoying church, then he stopped going, then altogether stopped praying. One morning, he just woke up and knew. Oh yeah, there was there was a day I woke up. The first day, I can't remember the day, I can't remember the circumstances, but it was a day when I was I said it out loud. I was like, wait, Jason, you no longer believe in God. And I couldn't believe I was saying it. The first person he told was his wife, and she reacted the way you'd expect anyone to react with disbelief, distrust, and because she had seen the change happening without any real way to stop it, a little fear. And understandably, she freaked out because, I mean, are you saying that you, 
for for a Christian, you denouncing God is is a one way ticket to hell. Yeah. And there's also the fear of okay, you are going to hell, but are you dragging me to hell with you? And oh, we're going to have a kid. Is this what you want to teach our kid and all that stuff? So um, yeah, understandably she freaked out and. At the time, Jason and his wife had been married for a couple of years. They met purely by chance. She had accidentally sent him a text. Like a wrong number situation and we started talking. So my, my, my own theory is that she was feeling me. Maybe she had seen me somewhere. That's my theory. And she got my number but didn't know how to just hit me up out of the blue. We went away dating and yeah. we just would be, we'd be, we'd be maybe in the same room reading, reading books. Quietly enjoying each other's company, but just reading books. My friends used to laugh at us. I'm like, look at these weirdos. <laughs> and I remember that fondly. The way I asked that to my wife is, I wrote, I wrote like a, a small book of like poems and and stuff for her, and and went to Shombolu, printed it, did like a hard back cover for it bound it up together all that stuff like a proper book yeah and then at the, at the last page at the end of the poems holding was like will you marry me it was a very private sort of gathering i'm sure my parents were not happy because we had to limit their guests and all of that and yeah. it was really nice very very beautiful at the beach she looked so lovely go married at the beach yeah Lagos, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was really lovely. Simple. There was plenty of food. And then, it's a happy you. memory. Happy memory for me. It's a very happy memory for you. I haven't been in any serious relationship for a long time, so maybe I am wrong. But I imagine in a commitment as strong as marriage, your partner just becomes the person you share things with. We don't like having expectations, but let's be honest. When you talk about your wins, you want your partner to be happy for you. When you talk about change, you want them to understand you. And when you talk about loss, you hope they will support you through the struggle. This is what I imagine, but like I said, I have no idea what relationships are like these days. For Jason, this was a period of immense change and loss. It became like it was if there was there were any feelings of did you suddenly lose the ability to hope? Man, this your question is hitting me hard because I actually did. I actually did. I now for all my life I've believed that God is there. The universe has a purpose. And not only does the universe have a purpose, my life itself has purpose. Not mm-hmm. only has purpose, but has so much meaning to this God that he sent his only son to die for me. Like, it's, it's, it was like a rock in my life. Like, no matter how bad things are, God still loves me. And that's the greatest thing in the universe. Yeah. No, matter, no matter the risk I have to take, I know that, okay, I'm going to pray about this. And, if, and God is going to give me the help I need. He's going to support me. So I'm going to be good. Last, last, if I die in this life, mm-hmm. I still know that it's not a sad ending because I'm going to heaven to be with God mm-hmm. for eternity. So these were truths I accepted wholeheartedly. 
And then I had to let them go and then be like, okay, so am I saying now that the universe has no meaning? Am I mm -hmm. saying that my life has no meaning? So why bother doing anything at all? Why not just, like, what's the point of life? If there's no, there's no point to it. I guess maybe what he hoped for in that moment was that his wife might be able to understand and support him. But she couldn't. She couldn't understand that he had changed in such a fundamental way. She couldn't understand it in a way that would also allow her to support him. And for Jason, that was heartbreaking. The intellectual part of me understands her reaction, and I don't blame her for it. But emotionally, I felt, um, I felt betrayed in some sort of way, because here's something I'm struggling with. For me, it's a life and death situation. Like, it's the most important conflict of my life mm -hmm. going through. And, I, and you're adding to the attack on me. Jason and his wife are separated now. Jason says his belief change wasn't the reason they broke things off, but it didn't help. The topic kept coming up and they kept having disagreements. And at some point, he felt that maybe they would be happier apart from each other. At the end of 2018, they went their separate ways. At the time, Jason was dealing with the loneliness and heartbreak that came with losing his faith. Now, he also had to deal with losing his marriage. It was a difficult period, the hardest part of it coming in the middle yeah. of 2020. Yeah. I, I didn't know that I was, that I was depressed. But yeah. looking back, I could see that over time, I'd become very sad, very withdrawn. I'd wake up tired. I'd have no energy. I'd have no motivation to do anything. I was limping through life, limping through each day. And then once in a while, like the thoughts would just pop into my head, almost like, like an academic exercise. Like, hmm, you know, if you, if you killed yourself, all of this, you don't have to worry about this feeling anymore. And then I'd brush it off and do something else. And then later on it would come back. And I'd brush. Like I never really fully considered it yeah. until... Until there was a day I woke up <laughs> and my brain was telling me that just do it, Jason. Like, you, you know that you're always going to end up like this. Like, all your life, this is where you've been getting. This was the inevitable end. You are always going to end up killing yourself. So this is right. This is, this is almost poetic, self. But just go ahead and do it. I don't know. I was so scared. So I called the helpline and I talked to somebody. The person we talked to them, they helped me get it under control. That, yeah. that, that was the darkest period for me and it took me, that was last year. It took me a while to crawl out of that hole, but I, it, I really think that the worst is behind me. Yeah. Jason says he's in a much better place now. He works as a scriptwriter but has plans to move to something else. He says he's burnt out. He has also found a new way to be more intentional about life. So before I would wake up in the morning and be like, oh, life is meaningless. And there's no, there's no point to it all. Oh, well, I guess I have to struggle through the day again. And then now I wake up and I'm like, well, life is meaningless, but I get to choose what's what's going to mean and whose life I'm going to, whose life I'm going to affect and um, how I'm going to live. And so it's it's it has a, a more optimistic 
It's a more optimistic thought process for me that gets me through the day. He and his wife are still separated, but he wants the best for her. They still talk, but not seriously. They have the same circle of friends and work colleagues. Do you still love her? Man, what a deep question. You know what? Yeah, I think I do. I do. Like in the same way as when you were together? Mm, I've had I've had to pour water on the fire. <laughs> I've had to because I had to move on my life. So, yeah. but no. I I still I want her to be okay. I want her to do well. I want her to be happy and healthy. Yeah. And to be okay as a so in fact I even want her to find somebody else that will make her happy to move on, live her life. I don't I don't I'm not holding on anymore. I went into this story expecting to hear about change, but I feel Jason's story is more about loss, about how our personal losses affect the people around us. The thing about loss is that when it is not yours, there is no prescribed way to react to it, like to react to someone else's loss. When it's a loss you can replace or you can help them fix, you do that. When it's a loss that requires emotional support, you do that. But with these examples, it's not your loss, it's theirs and theirs alone. When someone you love loses their foundation, the thing that's supposed to be the most certain about them, you lose it too. Like, you lose that foundation with them. When we lose something like our faith, we're not the only ones losing. At least, it doesn't feel that way to the people that love us most. I used to hate change. Like if I had to do something new in two weeks, I'd spend the entire time leading up to that day, dreading it. And the day would come and go and it would be like, really? That's it? Now I just breathe and take it one day at a time. Okay, new job, new school, new house, new whatever. I realize now that there's no point dreading it. Hey, it's going to happen. In today's episode, we featured stories from people who didn't have the same luxury of just taking it one day at a time. Their lives were very literally shaken by the change they experienced. But at the end of the day, I think they dealt with it the same way. With the same tool. Hope. Thank you for listening all the way to the end of the episode. Special thanks to our supporters on Patreon for helping us make this. For more stories that didn't make it into the episode, check out our Patreon. This episode was hosted by me, Bisi Adedun. Production and writing by Mo Iso. The music at the beginning and the end of this episode are by Donna Loves Music and Joey Pecoraro. The music you heard in this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions. You can find links to all the songs in our show notes. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at The Pod of Bubbles. Subscribe to Inside the Bubble wherever you get your podcasts. Next week, stories about our backgrounds and how they shape us. I remember someone almost tried to do that to me like one day. I think I was, it was during service and she was like, you know, the nice the most or the most unique thing about you is that you're Igbo and Muslim. I'm like, that's not, yeah, trust me, I'm awesome. <laughs>
the other great things about me that those, those two things are not so I'm, I'm telling you and she was like oh really i'm like yeah what was i till then this podcast was recorded inside a bubble 